This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. MPB Think Radio. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and those who love to stir the pot. I'm Java Chapman here with Carol Palmer and a great friend of the show, Chef Enrica Williams. And today we are your guys through Mississippi's vast and wonderful food landscape. Now, gleaning plays a vital role in Mississippi by addressing food insecurity, reducing food waste, and supporting local agriculture. So from the Society of St. Andrew, we talk with Langston Moore about how gleaning plays a road in Mississippi's food systems and how you can get involved. Also, we will talk about what is happening in your kitchen and what you are eating this summer. Java Chapman filling in for Malcolm White on this wonderful Monday uh, morning. And I'm in here with two of my good friends, Carol Palmer, Chef Enrico Williams. How are you ladies doing this morning? Hey, Java. Hey, Java. I'm doing fine. Yeah, it's a great it's a great morning. I I, I dislike when Malcolm's out because he's going to miss on the fun, but I do enjoy stepping on the other side of the glass. Well, we're going to have so much fun when Malcolm comes back because he is actually in Virginia, which mm. is the home of Kara, his wife, and he's already sent us pictures uh, in Rika from the red truck bakery mm. and that's uh, a you know really famous bakery they have two cookbooks we've we had, featured them on yeah, yeah yeah we've had a couple of interviews with them it, it's just you know one of the best baking books there is but he's been there and he's still posting on cooking and coping and his latest was a uh, saltine cracker with pimento cheese with a tomato on top of it. Oh, that's so yeah, classic. Malcolm. He wanted, yeah, he wanted to, he, he wanted to uh, to send his best to us. Well, that's good. That's good, Enrico. We appreciate you for stepping in and and being an, uh, another cog in the wheel this morning. How are you today? I am good this morning. It's always fun to be here. So. I'm looking forward to how much we discuss and talk about food and things and stuff. Well, you know, you were on our mind because we talked about you last week. Mm -hmm. We did. We We had, you know, it burst into a hot dog conversation (laughs) as things Mm -hmm. do these days. And Java was talking about your street dog. And I, I want to hear more do. about it. I know. I, yeah, I'm glad we I'm glad we do have uh, Enrica here because I always bring up the street dogs. You know, wow. they are a fan favorite wherever Fauna Food Works is, um, and at the Magnolia Sunset Market. I don't even ask for them anymore. They just magically appear. <laughs> you know, I think the last market I actually turned them down. Yeah, and did. then Java the, turned down a street dog. I was trying to be good because I had just ate a, um, a jackfruit sandwich. From uh-huh. Chef, Chef Paul, yeah. and I was trying not to be greedy, but somehow the street dog circled <laughs> all the way back <laughs> around to me. So, Erica, um, if you could break down the street dogs and just you know, kind of how you took just a, a hot, you know, a regular hot, hot dog, dog and elevated yeah. it a little bit. Um, okay, sure. So, um, 
the street dogs actually came about. There was a street festival on Congress Street, and they blocked off like a section. And it was my first time doing any kind of uh, festival or anything like that. And so at the time, I was trying to think of something to put on the menu, but something also that would identify like me and my style. So my dad was like, why don't you do a hot dog? And I was like... Hot dog. Yeah, I was like, hot dog. And I, but I thought about it. And so I was reading a few um, magazines. And so I love chili dogs. Love them. But I like the chili dogs, like the ones you would get in the concession stand at right. high school football games. Like canned Hormel chili, shredded you know, cheese, a little bit of onion and mustard. A really, really red hot dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like Sonic, like, you know, the foot-long cheese cone has always just been like this amazing treat for me. So I was like, I want to make a chili dog. So I started thinking about it. And I said, but I want, I don't, I don't like saying elevated, but I wanted <laughs> to do it in a different way. And so what I did is like, I'm just going to deconstruct what I think a chili dog should be. So the components of um, the Fauna Festival street dogs, that's like its full government name is that. But most people just say street dogs, which is really cool to me because, <laughs> you know, when we don't have them, we hear about it. And I'm like, OK, I guess if we show up, we have to have these no matter what. Um, so the street dog is um, we use an all beef frank. And we also I do a turkey chorizo. I make the chorizo. In-house. Um, I wanted to do turkey because I love the flavors of chorizo, but I wanted to do something that would just, again, hold the flavors of the chorizo, but not just be very porky because we had the beef. So I wanted to do something different with that. Um, we use um, black beans and we just slow um, stew those. I make a fresh pico de gallo. And we make a guac crema, which is like a sour cream, but we just really force a lot of avocado into it. We use crispy jalapeno peppers. We have a white queso, and we finish it with um, a sprig of cilantro. So it's like a, it's and you yes. have to and you have to have all of the components to really understand like the flavor profile. So when people like, I don't like this. Can you take it off? And it's like. Could you just try it with everything? And then if you don't like it, you know, next time, you know, try. You can we'll leave it off. Um, but it's just it's something that, you know, has gained its own following. It was a crazy thing because there are a lot of people It's like it's just a hot dog. And and we do no, have we have faithful followers that have had the street dog when I did this for the first time on Congress Street, I'm going to say about 10 years ago. And then when I opened Fauna at the um, Cultivation Food Hall, that was like one of the anchor things on the menu. And so now when we travel and we do festivals, we always have that along with some other things there. But one one time, a couple of times, I haven't had the street dogs. and You heard about it. I yeah, heard about heard it. it. I heard about it. And, I was, and my sister is like... This is a thing you have to have the street dogs, and I say I see. So, so that's the street. I wish dog. that our listeners could see because I look Java and I were looking at we you with eyes. just rapt 
attention. It was like you were telling you know, this this story, and I looked over at him, and he, he had the same intensity. Hear, hearing about the you know, forcing the avocado into the sour cream. Yeah, yeah I mean, okay. how does one? Force, yeah, and a, in a in, in a in a blender. Yes. <laughs> just blend it up. Well, I'm glad that you were here to talk about that. And Java, after I left the other day, I did go home and also have a hot dog, and I had a wagyu beef hot dog oh, nice. from the Flora Butcher. Mm, nice. oh, I love Flora it, from, Butcher. From David David Rains. I know we all had that. Um, on our minds, and I, I have tomato pie on my mind today. Now, see, I have been slicing a, a, a pretty nice tomato for uh, my wife Crystal. I've been doing a, we for like for the fourth. We did some Nathan's hot dogs, mm. uh, pack a pack of Nathan's because mm-hmm. it was on my mind. And then I did, you know, of course, a veggie burger for her, and I sliced what I thought was a pretty nice looking tomato for Crystal. I'm not a tomato person, so mm-hmm. I don't know tomato pie. What about you, Enrica? So it's so funny when. Carol was asking me about the tomato pie. I was just in Urban Foxes this weekend, uh-huh. and it was like sitting on the in the pie vault at the top, and it was so pretty. And I started thinking, like tomato pie. I've never yeah. made one. Well, look I've on never Cooking it. and Coping, our Facebook site, mm-hmm. because everybody is making these gorgeous uh, tomato pies, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I make one that's from the old Junior League cookbook from here called Come On In. Mm-hmm. And it has, uh, you know, you, you make your, I, I put it in tart pan, but okay. you, know, you, mm-hmm. you put on the bottom, you put mozzarella cheese, and then you put chopped basil, and then you put your, your tomatoes. But mm-hmm. I'm really looking to, to do something uh, something different. So I'm going back through cooking and coping this mm-hmm. morning to see if people have posted recipes. They're doing them with heirloom tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, there, it's just a gorgeous presentation. It really is, because I saw it was a thick... Um, it's a thick pie, had the fluted edges, and I just saw these nice slices of tomato. And so my mind went into, I need to find out more about these tomato pies. Like, what are the components? Because it looked, is it also like custard or is it like cream and Well, it, it's no, it, it, it uh, uh, yes. Well, some of them are, and then mm-hmm. some of them have more of a, a cheesy filling. Okay. There's some that use like cornmeal. Okay. Um yeah, I, I had I did one a few years ago that you put a couple of tables of cornmeal mm-hmm. in it, but uh, that that's what what I'm going to be doing. Today. Now let me ask this question: Is tomato pie considered a southern specialty? I'm asking. I don't know. I think it is. Okay. I think it's regional. Um, from whenever I've read about it, I've always heard it was like something in the um, the summertime. I guess with like an abundance of tomatoes. the tomatoes, and it was something else to do. And to me, I'm not sure, and 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 if I'm wrong in this, but it seems like it's also like a nod to getting a fresh tomato, salt and pepper, mayo, and on a slice of bread. Like it still to me gives that kind of composition uh-huh. just again the freshness of it but again you know you're listening to MPB Think Radio I'm Java Chapman here with you on this Monday morning filling in for Malcolm White 
sitting with Carol Palmer, Chef Enrico Williams. Um, and uh, coming up in a little bit later, we're going to be speaking with Langston Moore from the Society of St. Andrew. Going to be talking about gleaning and some ways that you can get involved. I spoke with Langston a couple of days ago uh, to get him here in the studio. And he was saying how he was on the phone with so many farms because mm-hmm. they need so many different volunteers to help and get some of the uh, the crops for the gleaning. And I said, you want to come and tell our statewide audience? <laughs> he said, yeah, sure. Good call. Good call, Java. <laughs> yeah. Well, but just um, the other day, I was listening, or just yesterday, Splendid Table comes on um, 11 a.m. every Sunday morning here on MPB Think Radio. And they were talking about Southern cooking. Host Francis Lamb was speaking with Chef Tiffany Derry. And uh, Enrique, you said Tiffany, she's out of Houston, correct? I believe Houston or Dallas. Okay. Yeah, out of of Texas and based in the South. But Mm -hmm. they brought up the question of the rise of Southern cooking, the rise of Southern cooking on the national um, on the national stage. And you know, I thought about this as a question because when you go different places, you know, you have your Chinese cooking, you have Indian cooking, Mexican cooking. But what is, quote unquote, American cooking? And mm. I honestly couldn't think of anything except for maybe fried chicken and collard greens and some, uh, you know, some macaroni and cheese. That would be my American plate. <laughs> uh, but do you guys think Southern cooking has become the national regional food for America? I know it's a big question. I just wanted to just want to put it out there. It is. And it, it's one that we could, you know, carry through the year with different guests who have opinions. But I think it, it's the most recognizable Cuisine. I mean, you can't say, you know, what is a Midwestern cuisine or this or this. I mean, you can there are parts, bits and pieces. But mm-hmm. I, I do see Southern food is is our national cuisine and, and more and more. What about you, Enrique? I think um, Southern cuisine now is uh, a commodity. I think that people now have decided that it's it's okay to enjoy it. It's okay to make money off of it um, in um, in a very broad way. But um, Southern cooking itself, as you said, is such a it's such a broad cuisine. So I think you have to be very specific and very intentional about what you're talking about when you're talking about Southern cuisine because I think the identifiable things that most people think of like barbecue, fried chicken, um, grits, catfish, like those greens. things. Greens. Those sorts of things. Like though that has more of a deep south and, and, and more of a black culture, soul food type of um, identifier. But I think that um, Southern cooking, for me, when I was in culinary school ages ago, <laughs> um, we talked very little about Southern food as a regional cuisine. We learned about Florida, you know, the Northeast. We learned about the Pacific. We learned about California, you know, Southwestern cuisine, and then... Um, there was like South and then it was like deep South and it was just like this very quick little, you know, 
concentration on that and that always vexed me about it was like so it was funny. we were almost embarrassed about I mean, yeah it's it just like, like oh yeah oh, yeah well that's just everyday yeah yes. cooking it's yeah. not worth talking about yes yes and that's funny because uh as Frances lamb and chef tiffany dare were having a conversation she mentioned the exact same thing because she is a southern a southern lady and when she went to french culinary school you know the mm-hmm. french style was yeah. everywhere and yeah. she made a mention of the like the blurb yeah. Which was uh, just a mention of Southern cooking. Yeah. But it was funny because Francis, when he was posing the question, he framed it in a way that I really liked. He said, like jazz, rock and roll, in hip hop, um, Southern cooking, it's uniquely American and it has black people at the center of it. Mm-hmm. At and, the center. And it's just one of those things where, you know, jazz is uniquely American, rock and roll, hip hop mm-hmm. is uniquely American. It can only be made in such of a, a melting pot type of um, and a place where, you know, struggle was also at the center of it, making no way out of uh, uh, making some way out of no way. And then also think about where those um, that music genre, those genres originated. South in the south, yeah. It's still, it's still like a. Um, I think there is a direct correlation of exactly what you were saying in regards to um, what Francis Lamb was saying. I've always appreciated Southern food, and I think a lot of people have. But there's sometimes a stigma of Southern food, um, most specifically Soul or Deep South food um being unrefined and it's not fancy enough or it's not something worth talking about but now people in their re- reclaiming of themselves and their identity or whatever now it's okay to come back home to the south now it's okay to talk about those traditions that you know most of the time were done by women you know now True. now it's okay to give the honoring and to and not always honoring because sometimes it's like, let me get a little bit of information and become the gatekeeper of it and not give homage to those who's been doing it because this is culture and this is w- their way of life. So it's it's a very loaded question yeah. uh, in the it's, sense it's, of it's that. It's a heavy topic. Yeah. I, I really believe that the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is a national organization mm. now, but it's based out of Oxford, has had a big hand in elevating Southern uh you know, Southern food, Southern food ways and Southern food on a national level. And uh, Francis Lamb is actually a member of the Southern Foodways Alliance and comes to the conferences, as do writers, magazine writers, mm-hmm. New York Times mm-hmm. people. You know, so they come together every year and dissect Southern food, you know, for everything from the farmer to the people who originally mm-hmm. made it. And it was the brilliant brainchild of John T. Edge when he was a graduate student at the Center for Southern Culture at Ole Miss. And it is a, you know, nationally, internationally known organization right here in Mississippi. And Enrica, an- another point, and this you could really take off on this, is in the past 15 or 20 years, we've seen people take our Southern cuisine mm-hmm. and refine. I mean, we've given it to, you know, to every chef, Edward Lee, I believe he's he's uh, 
you know, uh, maybe Korean or, mm-hmm. or in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. or, you know, Sean Brock mm-hmm. or John Fleer in Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. who does a sweet tea brined chicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Vish Bhatt, who's mm-hmm. yeah, Indian, they've taken the basics and they've made it their own. It's It's been, you know, we've given them a broad palate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To paint on, and it's fun seeing what it is. different cultures do with collard grains or different right. chefs. Right, because I think that, you know, and again, when you look at any other cuisine and you look at um, other cultures and the way that they treat food is more, if it's the humble ingredients, and a lot of times it's just in its rustic, humble you know, existence or the way that they prepare the food, and that is deemed artistic or that or art. Um, of um, a certain type of appreciation. But for some reason, you know, again, it's either if it doesn't look away or if it's a humble ingredient, we have to add foam and and, and dehydrate it, <laughs> which I have done all of those things. So I am not being hypocritical in that sense. But I'm just saying, you know, a Pepsi with peanuts is... That is that's cuisine. That's that is a southern cuisine. You don't have to freeze it and make a sorbet and put, you know, <laughs> peanuts on top. Like sometimes the simplicity and the and the humi- the humility of food is overlooked in southern cuisine because a lot of times people feel like that doesn't warrant you know, culinary excellence, and I disagree. Yeah, I think that's part of being a culinary and being part of a part of being a chef is understanding those things. And some things you do not need to reinvent. Some things it's it they are vehicles for you to to express yourself, and it is a way to elevate food. But you know, the use of word elevate sometimes to me comes off as like. Because its existence, it's not, it's not good enough, or the originality, or where it comes from, not is good not enough. good enough. So it's so refined and high class and fine dining. Like those words are very. Well, maybe nuanced. we should have another word for elevate because it's like taking collard, collard greens and doing something different, mm-hmm. or adding your own mm-hmm. Indian Indian yeah. spice. But back to Java's original question about Southern food. I think Southern food is a national cuisine just because it's good. <laughs> there you go. That is, <laughs> I can't. I, I cannot disagree with that one right there. That is true. <laughs> and um, if you want to listen back to that, I, I'm giving a plug for Splendid Table, but it does come on eleven o'clock. Yeah, it's a great, um, a every great Sunday. Podcast. Deep South Dining, our rebroadcast comes on at nine. So you know. You can just keep it locked to MPB Think Radio all day, every day. <laughs> but it's a great conversation. Um, they also talked about how um, chefs nowadays are being so unapologetic mm. uh, in their cooking. Even they gave the example of uh, how in some Indian restaurants um, you may not see butter chicken because that's what some people may want. But the chef is trying to, you know, open up your palate and show you Mm -hmm. different things uh, when it comes to Mm -hmm. a certain type of cuisine and that staple dish that you may find or quote unquote safe. um, It's not there. You know, it's not there anymore. So that was a a great great conversation. I have to ask a question since we have Enrica here and I told her 
I needed to talk to her about this. You know, you gave us all these food holidays, like tomorrow's National Blueberry Day. But oh, we the forgot, ice cream day on 17? Yeah, but we <laughs> forgot to celebrate because we weren't here National Fried Chicken Day okay. last week. And I personally have a fear of frying. Is it the grease? Because I know that's that's one of my things. Like I, I, I'm such a wuss in the kitchen. You know, I do, I, I, I need the splatter. I need the splatter guard. I need everything. You know. <laughs> but I, I, I really want to learn. You know, to learn to fry chicken correctly. And uh, Enrica has been talking about a woman who's going to do a demonstration at at the market. And oh, yeah, we got to plug the market. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not, but not we so were talking about t- what you were telling me just about the basic. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the basic, what I remember, so I, I'm very proud that I can do an A-cut uh, chicken. A-cut chicken is getting a whole chicken and breaking it down, like wing, thigh, all that. I've been doing this since I was a kid. I learned that from my grandmother. So um, what I've learned about frying chicken less is better. And I think like now it's kind of in the in the pursuit of identifying ourselves as cooks, chefs, culinarians, we always want to add a special touch to it. But sometimes um, uh, less is not less is less is best. Less, you know, just do the simple thing. Um, My mom. Um, is an amazing cook, and she remembers, and she would tell me, um, you know, just getting a fresh chicken, um, cutting it up, salt, black pepper, flour, and you would just fry it in lard or like Crisco, and or, or Crisco or just oil, and you would use a cast iron skillet. I did not start frying chicken deep fry method until I was in culinary school. I've always grown up knowing getting the big black skillet, putting Crisco in it, letting it melt, and frying chicken. You know, you may do a little bit of Laurie's, you know, you know, just for nostalgia, you know, a little bit of accent. I, does anybody even use accent anymore? I don't, I don't know. Like that I was like, like I could just see those things in my grandma's uh, pantry. Yeah, <laughs> mine, my grandma. Yeah, you know. Too. So it's so that just the recall for me in that for me now, my mom she brines it, but when she brines it, it's literally um, salt, water. She puts some uh, lemons in it and some uh, black pepper, and she just brines the chicken. Chicken, and then she fries it in just a seasoned flour. She doesn't. Does she dip it in buttermilk? No. My, and that's another thing that I didn't learn until I was in culinary school. Like it was very clean. Like season the chicken, dump it in the flour, brown sack, shake, shake, shake. Then, you know, knock some of the flour off. Test the, the oil to make sure it was hot, and you would start with the skin down, whatever that means. You know, I mean, I know what it means, but some pieces you can't do skin side down. But I remember you would start like the thigh; you would start with the skin side down, and um, and that's what I remember. But we never, we you know, um, buttermilk. It's also a good way to brine chicken. Pickle juice is another way. So it just tenderizes it the tenderizes brine and it. the buttermilk. Yeah. yeah, and then like when I was at um, Parlor Market, we would do hot sauce and um, buttermilk. Ooh. And, oh. And, and we would soak the chicken. And then we also, um, at one point, uh, Reynolds Boykins, uh, rest in peace, he would smoke it. 
smoke the chicken and then we would um, season it and we would fry it so it would have like this smoky taste to the chicken. Ah. So I've learned a lot of different methods and that too I think is regional as far as far as as, as far as where you're from and what you do because like mustard as a um, as a paste to season things, I didn't know about that until I was in Atlanta. They use that on catfish. They take mustard, yeah, and then they mm-hmm. season it in, the, in like if it's the cornmeal or whatever. And I'm like, this is what? What are you doing? Like I've I'd never heard of that. Um, so um, less is more. I don't think you need ten different spice blends on it. Uh, I, I just don't. I just appreciate tasting chicken. And I like a good crust on the chicken. And those are different, too. Like, you know, just sometimes. crust another word for skin? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Crispy, crispy. Yeah. Because I like to be able to pull it off. And then, like, the chicken is really juicy. But the skin is, like, on its own, this little treat. Yeah. Yeah, Because, you know, as a kid, you try to get the little quick piece that's hanging off the chicken. Mm -hmm. And you pull the whole Uh thing off. (laughs) Well, I think this has been, I mean, for me, a worthwhile thing to talk about because, you know, my grandmother was the chi- chicken fryer in mm-hmm. our family, mm-hmm. and I grew up in a non-frying household. My mother mm. never fried anything, so you know, I didn't learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she she wanted to eat her mother's food. She mm-hmm. knew she couldn't do it as good as her mother, so she didn't want to learn. Uh huh. She was like, "I'm not even." That's me. And when uh, my mom makes dressing, I don't even that. I don't even try it. I don't even attempt. Yeah, but you've got to. Uh, mm, I know, but that, I, I that tried it. That was the it. same with us. Ooh, it was a it was an epic fail, but I, I I understand the sentiment that I must try. We've been talking about a lot of different topics today, but this is one that is sure to have a great impact on um, the entire state of Mississippi. Because as Langston Moore's T-shirt says that he's wearing in the studio in hunger is the go in hunger.org. Uh, I want to welcome to the show regional director for Mississippi of the Society of St. Andrew, uh, Mr. Langston Moore. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me here. It's good Hello. to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you for mm-hmm. uh, for being in. This is a late morning for Langston. <laughs> He's been <laughs> ready to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell hey, him what, you you, been, what you, you've been doing earlier. <laughs> yeah, you've been, you've been up? Yeah, so uh, the Society of St. Andrew, our goal is basically to end hunger. Mm-hmm. And the way we practice that is we glean food from farm fields. It's food that uh, may be too big, too small. Uh, has blemishes on it, stuff that we won't shop for with our eyes in, in the markets. And we partner with over 100 farmers around the state who, uh, you know, they don't understand if the weather patterns, um, sometimes can be a bumper crop, sometimes they're not going to have enough food. And we go in and we get the food that's uh, left over. And we went, then we partner with uh, feeding agencies across the state to get that food out because we call it a hyper-local approach. Mm-hmm. We don't know who's hungry in Hattiesburg or Glendora, but the feeding agency we partner with, they know where the hungry people are in their neighborhoods. And so we partner with them to take that food, our, our, a vast majority of volunteers that we use. There's only two full-time people in our office, and, <laughs> and we're rescuing 
about 1.5 million pounds of food in Mississippi alone wow. every year. It's amazing. And uh, you tell me that you've been out in um, a pea field. <laughs> yes. Uh, last week we ended um, Fourth of July week. I was in a cornfield at six o'clock on Thursday morning, and in a pea field at seven o'clock on Friday morning. And we gleaned over 500 pounds of food with only about four volunteers. That's a lot. That's amazing. And where did the food go? (laughs) So the food last week, um, the corn went to a church who has a feeding agency. And then the peas also went to a church in southwest Mississippi Mm -hmm. who has a feeding agency. And they would distribute those um, goods and uh, pass them out to, to people who are hungry. So how does the food get to the feeding agency? Does the agency come pick it up from Jackson, or do you have to take it? So there's there's several ways. Um, one is, say we're gleaning in Hattiesburg. If we're gleaning in Hattiesburg, we have several agencies around mm-hmm. the Hattiesburg area. The volunteers who are in the fields with us, they will take that food to the agencies. I tell people a lot of times, we don't see the end user our product Mm -hmm. because the feeding agencies take care of that for us but also there's a community drop and one of the most successful that we do is at jackson state university right here in our own backyard which we're doing one in august i believe and we'll bring in ten thousand pounds of sweet potatoes from a farmer and we will have the students bag the sweet potatoes up about 10 pounds per bag and guys when I tell you people line up from yeah, I've seen the pictures. Blackburn That's, Middle School yes, mm-hmm. yes. is where we have the drop. Mm-hmm. The cars are backed up to Ellis mm-hmm. Avenue. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what we've been told. Mm-hmm. And not everybody gets food, unfortunately. But we give away a lot of food. There's no requirements or qualifications to get our food. Mm-hmm. If you show up, you get food. Mm-hmm. If you show up and you ask for two bags of potatoes, we'll give you two. If you ask for five, we'll give you five. We don't really care what you're going to do with those potatoes because we feel like if you're asking us for more food, you know somebody that needs yep, that food. Yep, yep. That's that and hyper it, you know, local it's so ironic yeah. that Mississippi is the hungriest state Isn't in it? the country, uh-huh. that we have the highest food insecurity mm-hmm. and we have the richest soil. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes we'll say thanks, West Virginia, or thanks, Louisiana, for <laughs> making us 49th some, yep. some years. But, yeah, one out of every uh, four adults are hungry or food insecure. And one out of every five children Mm. are food insecure. And that's what really gets Mm -hmm. to my heart Mm -hmm. is our children don't have a choice. Right. Uh, When you talked about 10,000 pounds of sweet potatoes, Mm -hmm. I was thinking that the sweet potato is one of the absolutely most nutritious vegetables that – that we have. I mean, a whole sweet potato gives you so many nutrients. Mm, And that compared to the food deserts we have where people go to the grocery store and they buy high-calorie, high-sugar foods in the small towns simply because that's that's what's there and it's cheap. Mm. And, you know, that leads to, to obesity. But, you know, these food deserts... Are, are killing um, our Mississippians. Mm-hmm. They are. And 
the newest term out there is called a food swamp, yeah, which is what you're speaking of. The, mm-hmm. the stores that have the high caloric, yeah. sugar sweetened beverages, mm-hmm. um, the sweets. That's basically a food swamp. There's food there, so it's not really a desert, but right. it's but it's not nutritious. No, yeah, you're getting no value out mm-hmm. of it whatsoever. And to speak to your point, it's high caloric. It causes diabetes, high blood pressure, mm-hmm. you know, obesity, and you know, really, hunger and food insecurity is a very complex um, mm-hmm. thing. People, you know, you say, but there's people hungry. Well, they should go to their grocery store and buy food. Well, there's no grocery store. Right. Or if there is a grocery store, we don't have transportation. Right. And if there is a grocery store and they have to pay for transportation, mm-hmm. that's money out of the food so, budget. Uh-huh. And that's just three examples. Yeah. And I, I yeah. have... 3,000 yeah. that cause food insecurity. Yeah. Well, talk to us a little bit about the closure of grocery stores in so many communities and what you've seen. Yeah. Thanks for asking that question. This is a near and dear uh, to me. I did a documentary, about four-minute documentary on YouTube. It's uh, Just search the town of Utica, and you should find it. It's in southwest Hines County, and their grocery store was closing. It was the week of Thanksgiving. And I was uh, blessed to be able to interview the mayor, Mayor Kenneth Broom, who I don't think is running again, which is a shame, in my opinion. Mm. Um, And we talked about the grocery store that's closing. It's in a little strip center that had, I I believe, a dollar dollar store, maybe Mm -hmm. a hardware store, and one other store. And he said, you know, people aren't going to be coming to the grocery store, which is the anchor of that strip. So they're not going to come to the dollar store. They're not going to come... Uh, to the hardware store and it's just going to be a domino effect of those stores closing and what he talked about that four some odd years ago has happened Mm -hmm. it totally came to fruition and they're having to travel about 21 miles to the nearest grocery store Mm -hmm. and then what happens is you have people with vans who say I'll take you to the grocery store for ten dollars, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and that takes the money that I was out of the use budget to, to oh, buy wow. food. Yeah, and so just the closing of the grocery stores is is another example of of what causes food insecurity. And they really don't. They have one store on the highway in Utica that is a food swamp, basically, and those people are, are very underserved. And it's and that, you know you can fill in the blank with numerous cities and towns exactly. in Mississippi that fit that mold. And and you know, a lot of people shop at gas stations. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I was, tell, go ahead. No, I was just gonna sit back up. We're sitting uh sitting here speaking with regional director from the Society of St. Andrew, uh Langston Moore. Uh that YouTube you just talked about the town of Utica story. Um out there on YouTube, like you said, it is four minutes and just the the first screen, people living in communities without access to healthy foods are at greater risk of developing diabetes, heart disease, and certain cancers, and it just goes from there. Um, I yep. did want to, I did want to back up just a little bit. How do you guys know where to go and glean? How do farms um, reach out to you, or you know, are you seeking out uh, areas for things that you are looking for? Maybe you're looking for corn, maybe you're looking for yeah. peas mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So the way I put it is the squeaky wheel gets the grease, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're constantly uh, emailing, calling, uh, visiting farms, calling the community p- people who may know farms uh, and farmers, uh, 
two weeks ago. I'm getting my dates all mixed up. It's been a long July already. <laughs> um, I was at the United Methodist annual conference and I was talking to a lady and she said, well, I know a corn farmer in seminary. And as far as I know, he grows acres and acres of corn, sweet corn, basically to just give away. Mm-hmm. And we have connected with him. And tomorrow we were supposed to be in his cornfield picking nice. that sweet corn. Um, and we're going to do <clears throat> the goal is to do a tractor trailer load mm-hmm. of sweet corn. Wow. You know, and, just the whole concept of, of gleaning yeah. um, is you go into the fields behind the people who have already picked. And, you know, it's it's a biblical right. mandate. Right. And, you know, it's from, uh, from Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, mm-hmm. you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. Correct. And we are um, – yeah, every time that's read to me, I'm, I'm blown away at the mission that we're, we're blessed to be able to do is um, to go after that food that's going to be wasted. And when I say wasted, I'm talking – it's going to a landfill. Mm-hmm. One out of every seven yep. tractor trailer loads of food is rejected at the warehouse. Yep. And if an organization like Society of St. Andrew isn't there to intervene, it's going to the landfill. It's crazy. And we are a small but very powerful organization. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. There was, I think my number is right, 155 million farmers to families food boxes under the Trump administration that was given out. And for every 115 boxes that were given out, the Society of St. Andrew was was responsible for placing that box. Hmm. So Hmm. we have a powerful network Mm -hmm. um, and a small ball, if you will. And this started in... Virginia, right. right? Big Island, Virginia, in 1979. Hmm. It's not an island. <laughs> it's, actually a, it's actually a mountain, uh, beautiful country. And it was started by uh, Methodist ministers' families. And they were wanting to end global hunger. And, I mean, one thing led to another. They just started working, and they went to the, to the Methodist conference and got some money and um, started finding food and I tell people long story short these many years later we have 10 regions across the United States so amazing and I know that here some people think you are affiliated with St. Andrew's Mm. Cathedral and Church and that is not so I want to make that distinction yeah thank you yeah that's something that we we fight especially in central Mississippi is and in my capacity I have been in the field only because our coordinator has been on vacation, much deserved. And I raise money. And so when I talk to people about the Society of St. Andrew, they're kind of like, oh, you know, aren't y'all well-established and good to go? And I'm like, well, that's not really us. Yeah. <laughs> you have to explain that to them. So it's, well, how do people donate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's really easy. You can go to endhunger.org backslash donate, and it's right there. Um, on there. If you just go to endhunger.org, 
If you look at the top right, it says donate now. And we prefer people donate monthly. And about $12 a month will let us get out, I think, about more than a thousand servings of food. I mean, a dollar goes a long way in our organization. Every dollar is about 20 servings of food. Okay, how do we volunteer? Same thing. Endhunger.org backslash volunteer. Or you can go endhunger.org at the top of the page, right next to the donate button. Don't skip the donate button. (laughs) Right there, it says create volunteer profile, belief. And once you create a profile, you will start getting updates on when we have events coming up. And what are the qualifications to be a volunteer with the society? Strong back, good knees. (laughs) (laughs) A will and a desire. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah, we don't have said qualifications. You will look on our website, and you will see children on that website carrying food. We feel that if a parent thinks that their child can do the work that we're going to be doing, bring them. And to tell you the truth, children are our best volunteers. Mm -hmm. They love it. They love putting the food in the cars. They love seeing the people smile when they give them the food. They, you know, I have a picture of a kid. It's actually a neighbor of mine putting a cabbage twice the size of his head (laughs) into a car just, you know, struggling with the biggest smile on his face that you would not believe. So a child's imagination can go to where that cabbage is going to do and be and how it's going to make the other people feel. Yeah. But what (laughs) what a benefit to be raising your children who Mm – make that connection about volunteering. I mean, you're raising our next generation of volunteers. And we call it feeding spiritual hungers mm-hmm. because it's, it's wanting to serve and it's mm-hmm. wanting to, to mm-hmm. do good. And I'd never heard that phrase, feeding spiritual um, hungers, until I came to the Society of St. Andrew. Mm-hmm. And it's just a powerful, powerful phrase, in my opinion. Now, like I said, looking at some of your data and things like that, are there any specific regions or uh, populations in Mississippi that, you know, the society uh, that you guys kind of focus on? No, you know, I tell people our service area is from Meridian to the Mighty Hmm. and from the coast to Corinth Mm -hmm. and everywhere in between. Mm -hmm. Wherever there's food that needs to be gotten, we get. And I was telling Carol earlier, it doesn't matter if it's, two blueberry bushes or 222 blueberry bushes. We don't want that food to go to waste. 133 billion pounds of food is wasted every year in the United States of America. Enough to feed everybody. That's a lot. There is enough food to feed everybody (laughs) in this country, but we can't get it. Can't get it. Can't get it to the people. And it's... Is it structural? Do you think it's just a will and desire? People don't know. You know, they think they think it's impossible. What's what's going on? I, I think it's kind of systemic. Yeah, I think like you know, the food comes from the field. It goes into a truck. It goes to the grocery store. We buy it, and that's how we live, right? 
but until you're educated on well there's food that's not good that cannot be inspected pass inspection and be marketable but it's still perfectly nutritious or there's food that's not pretty so we mm-hmm. have these companies that are making boo-coodles of money on ugly food uh-huh only because it's ugly mm-hmm isn't it like a subscription? Yeah, uh-huh. subscription yes. services. Yeah, um, which look, I love it. I love the yeah. fact that they're doing that <laughs> and they're making money off of it. That's as long as that food is not going to waste. Yes, you know, if restaurants would just step up and say, "Give me the ugly stuff," yeah, that would that would help. Not that because yeah, when you when it comes you're not to see your, it. yeah, when it comes to your plate, it's fine. I never thought about that unless it's yeah. not a, unless yeah. it's on a salad. Yeah, you but know. yeah, in a, in a grocery store, especially now with all our yeah boutique grocery stores, and we shop with our eyes. That's, yeah. the, that's the point. And the lettuce has yeah, it, everything has to be exactly perfect. And if it's if it's not perfect, I don't I don't know where it goes. No, that's exactly right, and that's why one out of seven loads gets rejected. I mean, mm-hmm. they're only looking at. I don't know, 10% of the load, maybe. That's yeah. that's probably a lot. Um, and if there's blemishes on well, however many of them, the whole load is gone. I was so interested in your the concept of gleaning, mm-hmm. of what you, you – you're going behind the pickers and everything, how much food is actually – in the field, I had never known. I mean, I knew about grocery store waste right. and all that mm-hmm. other, but not how much food there is in the fields left. Yeah, um, that's one way we do it. But again, I told you we found a farmer that grows just to give away. That which is, is what that's a great guy. You know, he, he's living a blessed life. Um, that's for sure. So, yeah, it's it's amazing how much food's left because of the market standards that are out there, and you know, it's called seconds, but. <laughs> to a lot of people, it's first. Mm. I like that. Mm. That's what's important. That's a good way to end. Langston, we really appreciate you coming in. And inhunger.org uh, is the website people need to go to? Correct. All right. Well, thank you for being here. And uh, if you want to join into the Society of St. Andrew and help out with the gleaning process, inhunger.org. Um, for Carol Palmer and guest host today, Enrico Williams. I'm Java Chapman. Hopefully, Malcolm White will be back on next Monday. But as always, tune in for Deep South Dining, Monday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.